0: inspired the word means God breathed is the Bible just another book the product of disingenuous people intent on deceiving others or is it the divine message of God as real as the very breath of God itself well that's what I hope we can deal with as we go into this brand new series simply called inspired as we take a look at God's word When our daughter, Emily, was born, she had what the doctor called ear tags. Not something particularly unusual, but something certainly new to to us. These bits of cartilage near her ear that, that stuck out, the doctor said, could be surgically removed in a few months. And so that fall, Dr. Weber, right here in town, performed a simple surgery in his office. I say simple, but the effect on me is uh, still as profound these 30 years later. Emily was only four months old at the time and yet she there was this uh, anxiousness about her as we went into the doctor's office and especially into that operating room there in his office. Um, Dr. Weber recommended that only one of us parents go in with her at that time so that the other parent could be the comforter after the surgery and so I elected to go in with her uh, believing that Elsie could be the better comforter after the surgery was over. When Dr. Weber made the first injection here to numb the area, she cried as if her breath had been taken away. Suddenly, my breath was gone as well. There was a pleading terror look in her eyes as if to say, Dad, why are you letting him do this to me? It was all I could do to sit there. I wanted to just grab her up off of that table and hug her close to me and take away the pain as best I could. But then I knew that what we were doing was the right thing. That years down the road, she would be grateful that we had this surgery and that we took care of this problem. But it was, boy, it was hard to sit there. When it came time for Dr. Weber to do the other ear He couldn't get her head to move. He tried to twist her head, and she wouldn't take her eyes off me. So we had to change places around the table. He went to one side, and I went to the other. And as I walked to the other side, her little head just turned over, and then the whole process started all over again, the needle in the ear and so forth. All the while, those pleading, tear-filled, terror-filled eyes. No knife touched my skin that day, but I've never experienced anything more painful than those moments. For the first time in my life as a brand-new father, I had a glimpse into the heart of the Heavenly Father. Just a glimpse, but it had a profound effect on me. How did God do it? How could he allow his son to die when the pleading voice of his son Jesus in the garden prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. Father, there's got to be another way. Or how did he do it when the voice of his son cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As excruciating as it was, God knew somehow that it was the right thing to do. It was our only hope. And for some divine reason that I can't even begin to fathom or explain, God could not bear the thought of not giving us a chance to spend eternity with Him. Emily's pain was temporary and short-lived. And it was certainly not life-threatening. But I was a basket case nonetheless. The horrendous pain that God endured was six hours long as Jesus hung on the cross, and it did end in death. How could God do it? Even though I had been preaching for a few years at the time, for me, after that moment, I decided I wanted to get to know God better. I wanted to get acquainted better, to know better this God who could do something for me that I couldn't begin to comprehend. You see, from the very beginning... The opening words of Genesis, in the beginning God, and the closing verses of Revelation, the Spirit and the Bride say come. The Bible has invited us to know God and His message of love, hope, forgiveness, and eternal life. If you were to ask Emily this morning, she was here at second service, so you can't ask her after this service, but if you could ask Emily what she remembers about Dr. Weber's office experience, she'd say, well, she doesn't remember anything. Me? I'll never forget it. And in like fashion, much of our culture today has dismissed God as irrelevant. And as a result, I have this fear that with the passing of time, we won't remember what God did for us in that moment of time. But as for the Father, He'll never forget that moment in time. And that's why we're going to spend the next few months getting acquainted with the Bible again, to go through it. And we dare not miss this greatest story ever. We cannot afford to miss this story And how can you say you really know the Father if you really don't know this letter of love that he has given us? And and, and through the weeks ahead, we want to give you tools and and means to help you as you study through To give you ways to dig a little bit deeper. One of the things we want to give you is this uh, Bible overview. Now, this folds out uh, several pages... And it has a brief summary of every book in the Bible. It's, a, it's got a plastic coating on it so it will last. It's great size. It'll fit right in the back of your Bible. It'll prop in the book, in between books on your bookshelf. We want every family to have one, one per family. If you want to buy more, you can buy some in the bookstore. We're just, we're just giving every family one of these uh, because we want you to have this tool to help you as we explore through the Scriptures together. And along the way, we'll give you others that we hope will increase your your study now you may be thinking this morning oh i desperately want to believe the bible but how can i be certain that it really is the book of books i mean after all there's so many religions out there, there's so many spiritual books in the world so much information to glean through how can i be sure that the bible holds the true answers well that's a great question and there's no way i can answer it in 25 minutes but I hope that I can give you enough to wet your whistle that will make you want to study harder, that will make you want to dig deeper into God's Word to answer those very questions that will motivate you to fall in love all over again with God's Word. Paul wrote to Timothy in his very last letter before his own death, a martyr's death, by the way. And what he says gives us something to chew on this morning. Second Timothy, this morning, chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired. That's what it means, God breathed. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, how is it that Timothy, the son of a Gentile man and a Jewish woman, became convinced that what Paul preached and wrote is indeed the truth? And Timothy, you understand, in turn preached it as well, with so much conviction that according to historical tradition, Timothy also died a martyr's death. It came during the reign of the Roman emperor Domitian. Timothy was serving as bishop in Ephesus, and there was this festival of Diana and there was this indecent pagan procession that took place during the festival and Timothy tried to stop it because of its indecency and it cost him his life because what he was doing was standing up for the principles of God's Word. How does one become so convinced about the message of Jesus Christ contained in the Bible that he or she is willing to lay down their lives for the Lord? And you say, well, that's what they used to do. No, this is not some antiquated devotion as if this only occurred in the first century. Do you not realize that today more people are being martyred for their faith than any other period in history? Look at what's happening to those who follow Jesus in such places as Egypt and Syria, Indonesia, Africa, North Korea, India, and other parts around the world. Martyrdom hasn't subsided So why do people do it? Why do they allow their lives to be taken just because of their faith? Well, one answer might be this. When an individual intellectually concludes that the Bible is no ordinary book, that Jesus is no ordinary religious leader, that the message of the Scriptures is no ordinary story, and that being a Christian is no ordinary commitment, then not even life itself is worth hanging on to, to compromise one's faith. What did Timothy have that we don't have? Not much. And you say, well, I've got a lot more intellect than probably what Timothy had at that day and time. I'm not going to sacrifice my intellect for some unsubstantiated journey of faith. Who's asking you to sacrifice your intellect? Faith and intellect, folks, are not at counter purposes here. As a matter of fact, if you don't engage your brain in this search, you'll never get past your own doubts. Paul was one of the greatest intellects of his day and time, and yet he died for his beliefs. Some of the greatest literary defenses ever written for the cause of Christ grew out of intellectuals who set about to once and for all write a treatise that would do away with the story of the Bible and ended up writing something to confirm it because when they intellectually looked at the evidence and the facts, they could write nothing less than a defense of the gospel. Intellectuals like G.K. Chesterton, Frank Morrison, C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel, and many others in a long list. Start with your intellect. Engage your brain. God never calls anybody to a blind faith. And no one is forcing you to believe. You're invited To believe. No one forced me to believe. I just became convinced because the evidence leaves me no other logical or rational conclusion. What's more, I got to tell you, that conviction has grown with the years, stronger, not weaker. I believe more strongly today than ever before that what story we read in scriptures is God's revealed truth to us. The more I learn, the more I see, the more experiences I have, I am convinced of the reality of God, and that the Bible is his revealed story to us. So I ask again, what did Timothy have that we don't have? Actually, nothing. As a matter of fact, if if you really want to know the truth, I think we got more advantages than Timothy did. Uh, Oh, you say, well, Timothy knew Paul. Yes, that that would be a big advantage. To, To know the apostle Paul, undoubtedly, that would be an advantage. But he never knew Jesus Christ personally. And he grew up under a government that was not Christian. He grew up in a town filled with pagan idolatry. And as a Christian at that day and time, he would have been a part of a minority. Those don't make it easy to live out your life and ultimately give up your life. He might have had copies of the New Testament letters written by Paul, since Timothy was the recipient of a couple of those letters, surely he had those, and he may have had copies of some of the other letters, because Timothy was, a, uh, was like a, an administrative assistant to Paul, so he probably helped Paul with some of it, he might have had a couple copies of those letters. Hey, but folks, we've got the same letters, we've got First and Second Timothy, we know what Paul wrote to him, we have the other letters that Paul wrote that Timothy would have had, we live in a country that embraces uh, religious freedom, and we as Christians are not in the minority, we have advantages that Timothy could only dream of. So how is it that Timothy could develop that faith? And we don't. You see, our, 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 our situation is not all that much different. We've got some advantages that he didn't have, which means we've got a responsibility and obligation to really understand what the Bible's all about. But it's what we have really, I mean, 2,000 years have come and gone. It's what we have in the Scriptures really trustworthy. Well, you might be surprised how historically accurate and divinely guided the Bible's journey has been. I could tell you that, but it'd be easier for you to watch it. So take a look at this video, and and, and you'll learn some things about the Bible's journey.
1: Today, we can find the Bible almost anywhere. It's at our local bookstore, in hotel rooms, at home on our coffee table, and even on our cell phones. We can read literal translations, paraphrase versions, and anything in between. I mean, we have over 20 different translations just in the English language, but it hasn't always been that way. Back in the beginning… yeah, way back there… yeah, the beginning. Stories were passed down from generation to generation orally, and each generation took extreme care to make sure that every detail was preserved and not embellished. It wasn't until 1400 BC that God inspired Moses to begin actually writing down the first five books of the Bible. And over the next 1500 years, he inspired around 40 other godly men from three different continents and many different languages to write books of poetry, prophecy, history, instruction, and firsthand accounts of Jesus' life into what we know as the 66 books of the Bible. So that's the end, right? Actually, no, not quite. Now that God had inspired these 66 books, somebody had to put them all together and make sure that no non-God inspired books made the cut. Enter the Council of Jamnia. In 90 AD, this group of scholars examined scripture based on a strict set of guidelines, whereby a given text must be historically accurate, written by a great patriarch, and not be in conflict with other scripture. With these guidelines and under God's direction, they confirmed the 39 books that make up our Old Testament. By 250 AD, Christianity fell under great persecution, and in 303, Rome ordered that all Christian books be destroyed, but this effort was not successful thanks to the many Christians who gave their lives to save and protect these scriptures. By 367, there were quite a bit of letters and stories circulating about the life of Jesus and about how Christians were supposed to live. So once again, a group met, this time called the Council of Carthage, in order to determine which books and letters were actually written by apostles or their closest companions. The ones that met this criteria make up what we know as the 27 books of the New Testament. Through the next 1,000 years, a period known as the Dark Ages occurred, and Europe fell into great unrest. (laughs) That's better. Reading and learning were discouraged, but God stayed faithful to his word and kept it alive through a group of men who lived secluded lives known as monks. Now, these guys were serious about their jobs. They worked long hours in little light and uncomfortable conditions, writing out each word by hand. And when they were done with each page, they would count every letter to ensure accuracy. Man, talk about putting love into your work. In the 1300s, at the dawn of the Renaissance, there was a renewed interest in art, science, history, and theology. Unfortunately, the Bible was only available to the priesthood in a language only they understood. A man named John Wycliffe thought that scripture should be available to all people so he began translating the Latin Old Testament to English. By this point, people were desperate for the Bible, but copies were rare, expensive, and took years to be written out. By 1450, Johann Gutenberg, you've heard the name, he was developing a way to mass copy books on what he called a printing press. It took five years to position all the movable type letters, but after all that time, he successfully produced the first print copy of the Bible in Latin. This sudden influx of Bibles created a demand for a fully English version, and in 1535 we had one, thanks to William Tyndale, who started the work for which he was burned at the stake, and Miles Coverdale, who finished the job. Thirty years later, A group of Bible scholars in Switzerland broke the Bible into its numbered verses. Thanks, guys. And the first King James Version came along 50 years later. Biblical scholars have continued to translate the original Hebrew and Greek scriptures into today's language and for people all over the world. So, the next time you pick up your Bible, remember the amazing sacrifices and the great lengths that God has gone to to bring you this text.
0: What that great video doesn't go into is the incredible textual evidence that we have for God's Word. In other words, how many copies do we have that go all the way back? Now, we, we don't have any of the originals, but the oldest copy that we have goes back to about 125 AD, which is only about 25 or 30 years removed from the writing of the last book of the New Testament. What's more, we have about 24,000 copies or pieces or portions of copies from which to determine what was written in the original text. There is nothing in all of history that even remotely begins to equal that. 5,500 Greek copies, 10,000 Latin copies, and 9,000 copies in a variety of other languages. Do you know what the second most documentable historical document is? It's Homer's Iliad. That's number two on those. Bible's number one. Homer's Iliad is number two. You know how many copies we got of that one? 643. And the oldest one is separated from the original writing by Homer by 500 years. The New Testament, 25 to 30 years, 24,000 copies. The writings of Caesar, we have 10 copies. The writings of Plato, 7 copies. Aristotle, 49 copies of any work. The New Testament, 24,000 copies copies, and still counting. I'd say that's pretty reliable. And those who wrote the gospel accounts of Jesus knew him personally. It's not like the fourth cousin three times removed of these guys are the ones that pinned it down. The eyewitnesses, Matthew and Mark and John, wrote having been with Jesus. And when Peter writes in his second letter, this, it, it's, it's just like a stamp on, uh, of approval on law. In verse 20 of of 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Peter's saying, we didn't make this stuff up, folks. He said that, that God's Spirit guided us to record so that what you're getting is what God wants you to have. Why is accuracy so important? Because I believe that God has revealed himself to us in his word. One of the things that bugs me about our current culture, and it defies logical explanation, is this, bu- is this business of us as human beings developing an image of God that we like. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I preached about Noah. And one of the problems that people have about Noah is the destruction of so much life in the flood. And, and people will say, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. And so they conclude one of two things. Either it didn't happen, and the story of Noah is a myth, or... I don't like that God that destroys life like that. My image of God is that of love and peace. When asked about that image, you learn very quickly that it's introspective, that I get to choose and pick what I like about God and what I don't want to like about God. I get to choose what I want to be, and I get to dismiss the qualities or characteristics of God that I don't want, so I come up with a very comfortable picture of God. Why do we feel it's logical to do to God what we would not tolerate for someone doing to us? Culture has bought into the idea that moral truth is created, not discovered. Folks, nothing can be farther from the truth. You don't create truth. Truth is revealed and truth is then discovered and God has revealed the truth of himself to us and it is up to us to discover who God is, not create God in our image. We've been created in his image We don't create him in our image. Suppose you and and I had never met. And suppose you and I had a business meeting set up for tomorrow morning. And I show up at your office and you look rather confused. You look at the picture and then you look at me and you look at the picture. And then you say to me, I'm I'm sorry. I'm not sure you're the right guy I'm supposed to meet with. And then you hand me this picture and this is what I see. And I'll say, where did you get that picture? And they said, well, the church office sent that picture over. It's from the back of your Sam's Club membership card. (laughs) And I'm thinking, why did the church office send you that picture? I mean, I may not have great pictures, but I got one that's at least better than that. That distorts my face. It's misshapen. It's not good. How do you suppose God feels when we distort his image, when we twist his words, when we accept certain characteristics of him and dismiss other characteristics that we don't like so that we become comfortable with God. When we are comfortable with God, God is uncomfortable with that image. As a matter of fact, many in the first century did the very same thing with Jesus. You're not the kind of Savior we thought was coming, therefore you can't be the Messiah. Just because it doesn't add up like you think doesn't mean it's not the truth. He was the Messiah, even though there were those who didn't like how he did it. The Bible is God's portrait of Himself. Not created with paints, but with words. And words make a far better portrait And say, oh no, I just wish God would have given us a picture of Himself. After all, a picture's worth a thousand words. Right? No, not necessarily. I'd much rather have a description of words sometimes than an image. If I'm looking for a mountain, maybe a picture is better. But when it comes to something this important, give me the words. Let let, let me give you an example. Take a look at Bobby Joe, Mr. Average American Guy, the kind of guy you'd like to have for your neighbor, likes hot dogs and apple pie, nice guy, right? Well, if I had given you a verbal portrait as opposed to the picture you just saw, you might think otherwise. Bobby Joe Long is a convicted serial killer having sexually assaulted and murdered 10 women in Tampa Bay, Florida in 1984. You see, images are not nearly as accurate as words. When God introduced Himself to us long ago, He did so with words, and then through the person of Jesus Christ. No wonder the Apostle John wrote in the very beginning of his gospel account, in the beginning was the picture. No. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. From the beginning, God's story has been one of redemption and grace Are there things I can't explain and or understand in the Bible? Of course. If God's greatness could be reduced to any level of my comprehension, He wouldn't be big enough to be God. Some things I take on faith, knowing that one of these days I'll have the whole picture. God will explain it all. And you say, oh, but that's so hard. Really? Everybody takes some things on faith. As a matter of fact, for those who don't believe in God, some things require more faith than actually believing in God. Everybody takes some things in life on faith. And what's more, God has placed around us visual evidence in nature that points to His creative genius. Do you know what the most diverse order of animals on the planet is? It is the beetle. 350,000 species of beetles. God used one basic design to create a spectacular display of forms, enabling beetles to accomplish incredible tasks. Beetles range from one millimeter in size to seven inches in size. They're built like tanks. They're crusty. Some fly like helicopters, others speed across the surface of the water like speedboats. They're amazing. Uh, d- take the dung beetle, for example. The dung beetle scours the countryside, collecting dung, shaping it into small balls, then digging holes and burying the dung balls into those holes as a source of food. It's God's lawn crew. They aerate the soil, they fertilize the soil. Beetles are doing that. Just think of what they do to enrich the ground. The lightning bug is actually a beetle. Through the summer, they light up our backyards with their greenish luminescence as they search for a mate. In the Smoky Mountains, there is a unique species that during a couple-week, three-week period, late May to mid-June... They, they literally cover the hillsides in some of the ravines and valleys, millions upon millions of these lightning bugs on the hillside, and here they flash in unison. They, their flashes are synchronized. They go off in unison. And it may not be the same amount of time in between flashes. And yet somehow they know it. And science cannot figure out how do they know to flash in unison. It's incredible. What gets me is these are all the males flashing. And the females have to pick a mate out of that. How do they know when it's all flashing <laughs> as one? Goodness, what God is, he's placed his signature in so many ways across this universe, and God says, just take a look at what I've built and made and created and come to know who I am. The bottom line is this. If the Bible is indeed God's word, and I believe it is with all my being, then it is the final authority, the divine charter on our purpose in this world and the only source of understanding his salvation. It is relevant to all ages, generations and cultures. Buckner Fanning was a young Marine in World War II, stationed in Nagasaki just three weeks after the dropping of the atomic bomb. Can you imagine being a young American soldier amid the charred rubble of that devastated city? But in the midst of that war-torn world, Buckner found an oasis of, of grace, so to speak. While patrolling the narrow streets, he came upon a sign that bore an English phrase, Methodist Church he noted the location and returned the following Sunday morning when this uniformed American entered the partially collapsed church building carrying his Bible the 15 or so Japanese believers paused and looked in his direction he knew very few words in Japanese but he did know the word brother and that is how he was greeted that morning Separated by language, culture, and a horrific war, they nonetheless worshipped together and shared the Lord's Supper. Only the God of the Bible could bridge such an enormous gulf. You and I may not always come to the same understanding on every scriptural facet, but if you're a Christian, a true follower of the Jesus spelled out in Scripture, then you are my family my brother or my sister, regardless of your race, your age, your culture, your language, your background. Because of the truth found in the Bible, His Word, we are one in Christ. That's why the Bible is not just another book.